Welcome to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. And I'm Sergeant Ackerberg. On each episode of The Pillars, we find a brief resilience topic so you can practically fix any potential roadblocks you encounter and finish a better wingman, airman, and leader. Dr. Walker, what's today's topic? Today we're talking about anxiety. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so if anybody got nervous with me just saying that word, then this is probably the podcast episode for you. So anxiety, uh, we chose this as a topic today because it's something that we all experience. It's common to the human experience, but some people experience it more than others, and some pe- people experience it more in certain situations than in others. But I think something that we can all relate to is the fear of public speaking. Um, now, I know not everybody um, has this, but usually at some point in your life, uh, you've had to get up in front of a group of people or perform in front of a, a big group of people, and it scared the pants off of you. Um, I know when I first had to do this um, in front of my class in sixth grade, I was so nervous that I was literally shaking, and I couldn't control the, the violent <laughs> shaking of my body so much that it affected my voice, and it sounded almost like I was stuttering, and it was one of the most embarrassing and cringeworthy probably presentations of my life. Um, but from that, uh, I've, I've learned to control my anxiety, and uh, what we hope to do today is talk about several methods that you can use uh, to manage anxiety on your own as well, whether or not um, you're one of those confident, uh, outgoing, fun-loving folks, or if you're uh, somebody who's really been struggling with this. And how do you know you've come from worry, just general worry mm-hmm. or concern or stress into anxiety? How do you know you've made that leap? Well, that's a good uh, distinction that you made, Chaplain, because there's... A spectrum, if you will, uh, like a continuum of anxiety. And it starts out on, on one end as worry, which is normal. I mean, everybody worries about something in the future. Um, again, another common sensation. But as it uh, deepens and becomes anxiety, that's the point where you start to become preoccupied with the future. And it's something that now is having a physical effect on you as well as a mental effect. In fact, um, that's one of the symptoms of anxiety is that you have some physical uh, changes going on uh, at a physiological level uh, that now are becoming very noticeable and can start to actually uh, form a recursive process, basically a cyclical pattern where it reinforces the anxiety and makes it worse and worse and worse. And it's all your body's cue to say, hey, something's not right. Something's wrong. You need to pay attention to this. Unfortunately, what that does is it makes you pay attention to it. And so you get honed in on that thing about which you're worried and it just snowballs from there. Well, and I know why I wanted to have this discussion is in the spiritual realm, there's a verse that's often cited that not to be anxious about anything, Mm -hmm. but with everything, with prayer and petition, bring it to God and it'll solve it. Well, unfortunately, that's been used sometimes like a sledgehammer. And what happens is I come in and I think to myself, like, oh, I'm really anxious about this situation. And Mm -hmm. it's come up in my career. And I think, well, I shouldn't be. And if I was more spiritual, I wouldn't be. And (laughs) And who's hitting myself with a sledge? Myself. And sometimes, unfortunately, religious professionals have done that as well across faiths, across disciplines. So I know we wanted to find out what it was, which we've Mm -hmm. talked about a little bit, and then get some real practical helps so people know that they don't have to beat themselves up for having this feeling. Right, and and we're going to definitely go into that, but I like what you said just now about not beating ourselves up for having this because not only is it normal, but in some cases it's actually helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would uh, The psychological terminology we use is is adaptive. So if you think of it in terms of um, evolutionary psychology, um, our ancestors, you know, if, we, if you believe in the caveman era, right, um, 
living in caves, hunting for food, living off the land, just struggling to survive. You know, median age was like 29. Um, those who had this anxious reaction were spurred to action. So in the face of danger, their body got hyped up, they honed in on that danger, and they were able to survive it, and hence pass on those genes that allowed them to experience that in the first place. Whereas those people who maybe saw a saber-toothed tiger in the bushes and didn't have that anxious reaction got eaten. So they, they weren't, didn't have an opportunity to pass on their genes. They didn't survive. They didn't reproduce. And so now, you know, fast forward uh, several thousands of years, several millennia uh, to the present day, we still have that anxious reaction because it's been honed by generations and generations of, sur- of survivability. But unfortunately... In our day-to-day lives, we don't encounter threats at, at every turn. You know, you could be walking down the street and all of a sudden have anxiety for no reason. It's just that our bodies have become haywire and maybe a little too attuned to the possible sources of danger. But we're really not in life, death, life and death situations uh, on a day-to-day basis. But one of the things that is interesting about this um, anxiety, if we want to call it that, is it, it can be helpful in non-life and death uh, situations. There's something called the Yerkes-Dodson curve. Have you heard of this before? No, I haven't. So the idea is that um, if you look at a normal bell curve, it starts really low and then peaks high and then uh, falls back down to the other side, and it's perfectly symmetrical. The idea is that as our stress in- in- increases, our physiological activation will also increase. And... Um, because of that, our awareness sharpens. We become more attuned to the situation and the significant components at hand. And our, our physiological arousal actually increases to the point where we're more ready to attack uh, whatever is required of us in that moment. And this is where performance comes in. Mm-hmm. So if um, you know our heart rate's increased, we're more focused, we're more concentrated, um, we've got the blood flowing, we're, we're breathing differently, and so now we're oxygenate, oxygenating our muscles, we can perform at a higher level than if we are just relaxed in a total baseline. And so as our physiological activation increases, so does our performance, but to a point. And then once we get too hyped up or too stressed, too anxious, performance actually starts to go down. And now we can no longer perform as well as we once could. So I gave that example about my public speaking, exactly. how I was shaking and everything. I was too, I was too activated. I was too yeah. anxious. And so I, I just couldn't perform. But if I'd have been able to scale that back even just a little bit, I would have been that optimum range where I might have just blown it out of the water. That's in a really good way. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we're going to talk about is not necessarily ways that you can eliminate anxiety altogether, but how you can bring it back down to a manageable level to where you can perform at the optimal level. I love it. Yeah. Well, before we go into that, I just wanted to kind of bring up the like some of the symptoms of anxiety because people talk about anxiety, mm-hmm. but I know for me, you know, being a mental health technician, I had to triage a lot of patients and they'd be talking about this anxiety, this anxiety, and they're telling me, and I'm like, what are your symptoms? And they would tell me a lot of things that I was experiencing also, but I didn't consider it anxiety. Mm-hmm. It was stress-based, but I didn't look at the overarching umbrella, which is anxiety. Yeah, Anxiety triggers that fight or flight, that stress response, right? Like you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so anxiety can be numbness and tingling, dizziness, chest pain, headaches, neck tension, stomach problems, um, irritable bowel, pulsing in the ears, burning skin, um, impending doom. I have a lot, a lot of negative <laughs> people come talk about the world's ending, but not so, so big, but their world is ending. Shortness of breath, um, pains, a lot of mysterious pains. I know mm-hmm. we all go see our PCM for aches and pains, um, but the number one thing they teach PCMs to look for is stress. 
before they treat yeah. them. And, and this is because our, our bodies can actually convert mm-hmm. um, mental pain and anguish into physical pain. Um, sometimes because it's more socially acceptable. Sometimes because pain actually looks the exact same in the brain, whether it's mental or physical. Which definitely doesn't help your PCM. <laughs> no. <laughs> trying to figure no. out why you have back pain. <laughs> and and these uh, those symptoms that you just listed, those are all signs of the fight or flight system going mm-hmm. into overactivity. So we mentioned this before. I'll cover it briefly. You got something called the autonomic nervous system uh, in your body. It's a, a cascading series of hormones that are designed to to elicit your fight or flight response, that caveman instinct that I was talking about earlier. And at the highest levels, it's going to produce a lot of those symptoms, which may be good in the short term. Uh, but what we're talking about is when they don't calm down after the threat has has gone away. And essentially what we need to do is activate our parasympathetic nervous system to induce relaxation, which is the you know, antithetical side of the fight or flight response. So I know, Chaplain, you had some ideas I about do. how we can do that. Because one of the challenges we run into is our mind sees anything as that saber-toothed tiger that you right. mentioned. We see all of a sudden a report is due by the end of the day, and it's a saber-toothed tiger, not a report we need to write by the end of the day. Right. And one of the ways to do that, and it's a spiritual approach, is called meditation, also known as mindfulness, mm-hmm. uh, and more secularly. And really what that means is paying attention to the moment. It's super basic. What are the steps to meditation? Effective, you focus on your breath. Focus mm-hmm. on your breath, that's it. You're going to get distraction. That's step two. Step two is get distracted. <laughs> what does that mean? You're going to have a thought come in your mind. So if you ever stop and you just focus on your breath. Now, if you're driving in a car, don't close your eyes. But you just focus on your breath and how it's coming in. You'll start thinking about the football game yesterday or some other event going on in your life. Just step three, acknowledge the thought. Say, I am thinking about football. I am thinking about my spouse. I'm thinking about this computer in front of me uh, or whatever comes to mind rather. Just acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And then return to breath. That's it. So you breathe, you get distracted, you acknowledge the distraction, return to breath. This is not rocket science. But what it does is it slows you down and helps you to be present in the moment. And rather than taking a situation and blowing it out of proportion, mm-hmm. you just recognize the situation for what it is. Not a saber-toothed tiger, right? something else. And mm-hmm. it does calm you down. There's tons of physiological effects, but it's also, I believe, a spiritual effect. It helps you to be centered. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, for those listening who may not have a spirituality, there's a number of folks out there who are um, you know, atheistic in nature who advocate mindfulness and meditation as oh, yeah. something part of their normal spiritual life. Even if you don't have a spiritual life, this is something you should include in your life. And this can be a piece of uh, spirituality to incorporate that's really not complex at all. That's one. The second one, which has some interesting research around it, so those of you who go and Google this, you could come up with some complicating pieces, but it's about power posing. Power posing was proposed by Amy Cuddy, and Mm -hmm. she's on TED. If you go to TED.com and listen to some of their speeches, may ruin your afternoon. You'll go watch them (laughs) and want to be a better human. But what she did was did some research on how you stand and how it affects your um, stress level Mm -hmm. and your anxiety. And if you can stand in a positive way, and what that would mean is if you've seen the movie Wonder Woman or Superman, those kind of heroes. Superman mm -hmm, pose. Standing like that and doing it for two minutes, it will have a noticeable effect physiologically. Now, one thing that's come out in some of the follow-up studies is it's important to feel powerful when you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So anxiety sometimes you can feel like you don't have control over the situation. Is that yeah, fair to say? you feel helpless. Mm-hmm. This, look at the situation as if you were a superhero. And just stand there, just standing in that powerful pose, and just do it for two minutes. But feel that power coming in, and you'll notice that you have more control over the situation. The study that uh, Cuddy did actually showed that your testosterone and cortisol levels were 
affected within that two minutes, that your testosterone goes up and cortisol goes down. Mm -hmm. Testosterone, the hormone of control, cortisol, the the hormone of stress, and that goes down. So you're more in control, less stressed. I personally do this in the morning when I brush my teeth. Uh, Your toothbrush goes for two (laughs) minutes. At least you better brush for two minutes. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm not a dentist. But my toothbrush does go for two minutes, 30 seconds per quadrant of my mouth. (laughs) So I stand there and don't tell anyone this is embarrassing. But I sit there and I brush my teeth in a powerful pose, brushing my teeth for two minutes. Why? Well, I want that effect. I also do it between sets in the gym in the morning to help myself feel, but feeling more powerful and envisioning that. So those are two things. You could do that power pose. Um, before you're about to enter into a situation where you normally feel feel anxious, right? Correct. So I've actually worked one uh, individual I worked with, a commander, had to give correction to mm-hmm. a person, was really upset about the correction because he knew the impact this would have on that person's career. Yeah. And I mean, so I said, okay, what can we do to help you get through it? And I had them, no kidding, after talking through their ramifications and understanding the situation, stand in a power pose for two minutes. And the person reported they felt so much better. Mm-hmm. And they were still nervous about giving the the correction. Well, sure, but that's normal. That was normal. And so they, this helped a lot. So those two things I think are some, some, a great way to start dealing with it. And again, we're talking about getting it down to a manageable level, not eliminating it entirely. Because once you eliminate that stress or anxiety entirely, it's like boredom, you know, you're falling asleep at that point. That's, that's not helpful. Uh, Sergeant Ackerberg, there's something that um, you wanted to talk about too, right? I did. I wanted to bring in a little um, of the diaphragmatic breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something I do when I'm just like, you just need a minute. I call them a mommy timeout Okay. because <laughs> um, I have two small ones. Um, but pretty much you can do it standing. You can do it sitting. You just sit comfortably in your chair. I put one hand on my chest, one hand on my tummy. And the whole idea is to take a deep breath and push out on your tummy. You don't want your chest to rise. Mm-hmm. Um if you've ever played an instrument, um, like a wind instrument, they teach you to do that breathing yeah, in your control. stomach. Or exactly. If you, if you're a singer. Or oh, anything. definitely. Yeah. Um, and so really just by taking that deep breath and then just exhaling and then focusing on the exhale, and you can hold at the top if you want. So when you inhale, you can hold it for two seconds and then mm-hmm. exhale. Um, I'm always amazed when I hold it, when I hold it for two, maybe three seconds, and then I release. I can notice a difference then versus just a, de- a breath in, a breath out. Yeah. I don't know what it is. You probably have some fancy science about it, <laughs> but there's something about that holding it to make sure that your body has like absorbed the maximum mm-hmm. amount of oxygen that it can in the lungs and then just exhale that, that carbon dioxide out pretty much. It, exactly. You're exactly right. So what you're feeling is actually the exchange of oxygen carbon dioxide between the you know, alveoli and the connection with the capillaries in your lungs. And it can take a bit mm-hmm. because we, we get a lot of it, uh, the CO2 built up in our, our system that needs to be exchanged and it doesn't happen instantaneously all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so when you hold it, you're actually allowing for the full transfer of those molecules and then you're able to exhale uh, more so you're you're helping with the oxygenation of your of your muscles and your brain, and, and that's the relaxation that you're feeling on the exhale. So what's what's cool is I've actually hooked people up to heart rate monitors, uh, pulse ox monitors, and um, uh, blood pressure monitors, and uh, you know real life like um, live to the minute or to the second. Sorry, while they're doing diaphragmatic breathing, I'll lead them through these exercises, and you'll see as they inhale, heart rate starts to increase just a little bit. 
but uh, after they hold it and exhale, you'll see the heart rate drop five or six beats per minute and the blood pressure drop, I mean, substantially from what it had been before. I've worked with people on this um, who used to have a resting heart rate up in the 90s, 90 beats per minute, um, which was a high sign of anxiety for them. Mm -hmm. And by the the end of a five-minute session of diaphragmatic breathing, they were able to get it into the low 60s. It's unbelievable how this can work physiologically as long as you practice it and really connect with that breath. Mm -hmm. And it can take practice. I'll tell you, I tried this when I was in grad school, and I thought it was wacky pseudoscience. (laughs) I did not believe in it. It wasn't until I actually um, was practicing that I started to to actually do it correctly and to give it a decent try um, to where I started to feel the effects of it myself. So if you try this and it doesn't work right off the bat, you're not alone. Just keep practicing, keep working at it, and we can help you with that too if you're having some difficulty with it because I promise you it can be very helpful once you get the hang of it. Well, yeah, research shows that we don't appropriately breathe. We're like inadequate breathers. (laughs) Right. Right. We're chest breathers, short, shallow breaths. Yeah, exactly. And so all throughout the day, you're not efficiently, you know, providing your body the oxygen that it's requiring. Um, And then you go either in the morning or at the end of the day, you go try to work out Mm -hmm. and you're just like, oh, I'm not performing. Like I can't, I've tried to, you know, squat 9,000 pounds and I'm not (laughs) doing it, you know, and it's like, well, let's focus on the stress. Like, are you doing your breathing? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you bringing to the table so that you can be you know, at your optimal level. Long, slow breaths. One other gee whiz fact for those into gee whiz facts. For the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, ruach was the word for spirit, and pneuma is in the Greek scriptures. It really comes out to spirit, breath, or wind. Yeah, yeah. So for me, the more spirituality you get in your life, the better you feel. And so whether it's (laughs) diaphragmatic breathing, meditation, mindfulness, that focus on breath is really feeling that spirit in you, which I think is gee whiz factoid. And there's, I think there's one more thing uh, worth talking about, and oh, yeah. that's a, uh, one of the contemporary sources of anxiety these days. What would you say? Social media, Talk and actually your talks. phone in general. Yeah. To just we, there are so many benefits of having a phone. It can do everything. It's amazing. You can take pictures with it. You can do mindfulness meditation techniques from it, and we can read books. However, it also is a huge source of anxiety. It's a handcuff. It, it is. And we, for those of us in this profession, commanders, NCOs, you feel like you need to be within a hand grasp with an arm length of your phone at all mm-hmm. times. But if you can put some distance between you and your phone just from time to time, we're not saying forever or go off the radar, but if you can just put some distance, and specifically social media, there's a mm-hmm. number of studies that have come out showing that the more you're on social, the more anxiety you feel, the oh, more anxious sure. you feel. Because people who post to social media all the time, you put a certain persona. So you don't and, put... in the purpose of pretty much essentially every post on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, what have you... The purpose of that is to elicit some kind of reaction. You're there. People don't just kind of post willy-nilly. They're trying to get a reaction from you. They're trying to get your emotions involved. And if you're going onto these sites that are going to have your emotions go in all directions, you're happy, you're sad, you're angry, it can be, it can be very exhausting and anxiety provoking. And even seeing posts from friends. If, let's say, mm-hmm. you're having struggles in your relationship and you see a relationship that posts that everything's perfect. Uh, Social or, comparison. And, or, you know, uh, even animals. Like, oh, my dog has – I've been to the vet 15 times for my dog in the last two years, but their dog's perfect. Mm-hmm. Whatever it may be that there's a comparison game yep. that begins to be played, you feel bad because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I'm not as perfect as this couple or this, this animal as those two examples. But the reality is people don't post all the time 
time, most people don't post. I should say that. <laughs> most people don't post when they're fighting with their spouse or loved one. They don't post everything. So right. what you're getting We're is not getting a, the full correct, picture. Correct. You're getting a partial message. And you're comparing against just the positive side. Mm-hmm. We've had people come to us and say, I wish it was as perfect as you or mm-hmm. you. And you're just like, oh, man, you only see half of it. <laughs> like, you don't see. Like, you see the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, you see yeah. this part. But the rest of it, like, we have challenges like everyone else. Exactly. So that's something to be aware of is to put some distance between you and social. And I'd even suggest, and we've talked about it before, mm-hmm. but an idea of a fast, at least a social media fast. Or if you're on leave and you know you have another way to be contacted and you've worked it with your supervisor, let them know you're doing a fast from your phone. Mm-hmm. Put on airplane mode for your, the length of your leave. And again, have an alternate number so everyone's comfortable and your supervisor knows where you are. But taking that time and just notice how much better you'll feel. Yeah, a handful of social psychologists, I believe is out of UCLA, um, ran a, a study where they looked at um, people who were considered high social media users, which they categorized as one hour or more per day on some kind of social media apparatus, which to some of you listening may not sound like a lot. Um, and then they had either um, you know one, one group of people this is essentially their control group, do the exact same thing that they're doing, not change anything about their daily lives. Another group take a social media fast, and another group actually have scheduled time where they weren't even in the same room as their phone. And guess which group did the be- did the best? The phone outside of the room? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so completely disconnecting from your phone, not yeah. even having it there to tempt you or to you know see the, the buzz from updates and, and things like that um, can help significantly with anxiety, depression, believe it or not, even insomnia. Um, so it's good to take those breaks from time to time and just free yourself. And you know, if you want to be transcendental about it, you can go out into nature. But that's actually, for me, uh, being outside is a great place to meditate. That's why I, I prefer to, to calm my mind and, and kind of reconnect. I know for me, the first thing, because I can't ever operate my phone. Matter of fact, my seven-year-old can operate it better than me. Um, I have her help me turn off notifications. Mm. <laughs> and uh, most times I accidentally put my phone on airplane mode, but it seems to work out great because all I ever really use my phone for is taking pictures. Um, and then every now and then if I have to look up something on the internet, because I don't believe my fun facts from my husband. So. <laughs> um, but other than that, like, and I find that it's great, you know, and I actually lose my phone everywhere I go, like in my house. My husband keeps track of my phone just because it doesn't mean anything to me other than when someone needs to get a hold of me. Like, I don't have any value Hmm. other than the fact that I paid too much money for it. (laughs) But to me, I've just placed my value elsewhere. And I don't, I'd rather maybe text message family than actually read a post of what they wrote. I don't know. Hmm. So social media to me has never been one that I've just been drawn to. I actually find it very repulsing just because it's overstimulating. You don't, I mean, you can, you hit... Like, Chaplin, you shared a link with me. I watched the link. I thought it was funny. And the next thing you know, I had car crashes. I couldn't turn it off. I was like, how do you turn this video off? Like, and it kept jumping me to different videos. And I was just, like, way out of my element. It and was the, overwhelming. And that's how those news news feeds work. It's oh, yeah. one thing after the other. Now, I, I know we probably lost a handful of you when we said take a fast from your phone. Right. Uh, but if you're still listening, there are actually a handful of apps that you can use on your phone uh, to help with some of these things. Definitely. Um, actually, T2, which is telehealth and, and technology. That sounds or, right. Okay. Yeah. T2, it's a DOD program. Um, they actually support a lot of amazing apps. Um, there's over 20. 
Yeah, and these have been created specifically for active duty uh, and veterans, Mm -hmm. um, sponsored also by the VA and the DOD. And uh, there's a huge list of different apps that uh, are designed to help with, it looks like um, PTSD, anxiety, relationship problems, anger or irritability, um, all kinds of different issues that that people may have. And uh, um, it's pretty cool. If you go to the website, does it have it listed on here? Um, It does... Technically, I just know that it's the T Hell or T Two DoD. I think. Okay. Um. Yeah. So so you know Google T Two, um, and you'll find the the mobile health tools. Yes. There's a, a huge list of them, and um, I know there's a breathing app on here too. It's called Tactical Breather. Mm-hmm. That's one that you could actually use uh, to engage the diaphragmatic breathing, uh, if that's something you want to help with um, your anxiety or or to help. Uh, serve as a segue into meditation. Well, we want to thank you for listening to The Pillars. I know we went all over the place with our recommendations today, but we want to thank you so much for listening. I Hopefully you're enjoying it. And please provide feedback. So if you got this far, you're still listening, please email us. And for sure, please leave us a rating on iTunes. This is the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. And I'm Sergeant Ackerberg. Until next time, if you need us, please reach out to us on the global address list. And we want to thank you for what you do for our nation. Thank you.